Hey guys, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I'm here again to celebrate the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast by going into some recaps on TV shows that I've caught this week. I'm also going to be talking about that Universal Fan Con situation. As a lot of you know who have been listening, I had every intent and purpose to go. So I'll be diving deep into uh, everything that kind of broke over the weekend. Um, but, you know, I'm also going to get into these shows. So I'm going to be talking about Supergirl, Black Lightning, The Flash, The Expanse, and My Hero Academia. Uh, real quick, though, as always, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and my website, KirbyGeekyFangirl.com. You can also find this podcast on the Anchor app, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and a bunch more now. Anchor app has done an amazing job of trying to share your podcast with a bunch of other places that will produce, or not produce, but post and host your podcast. So other the list is growing. So all of that is happening as well. Uh, as always, I want to take a moment to let you guys know that this is going to be spoiler filled for everything. I ain't scared of no spoilers. Uh, spoilers for me don't ruin my full experience. So I know for others it can. So if you haven't heard of anything that I'm talking about or haven't seen any of the shows that I'm going to be diving into, please take a minute to go ahead and catch that stuff, catch up, and then come back because it's going to be full spoilers after this. So just want to give you that warning and we will get right into my feelings on Universal FanCon right after this. Okay, so... As a lot of you probably know, if you were, you know, into the Universal Fan Con thing that was happening, it's recently been canceled. Ugh, just, uh. So Universal Fan Con, in case you didn't know, was supposed to be a convention that was centered around diversity in fandom. So a lot of conventions that take place, a lot of geekdom itself tends to be very white, very, very white with little to no recognition of the other groups that kind of contribute to it. And university, university, yeah. Universal fan con was supposed to be the con where all of that was going to be put up on notice and on display in like a super positive light. We're talking geeks with disabilities, the LGBTQIA community, uh, nerds of color, geeks of color. Like all of that was going to be hugely seen and just put on this fantastic platform to like let the world know we're here. We want you to know we're here. We want you to know what we're able to provide as well and that we're not going anywhere. It was a, going to be a huge movement for geeks of color, geeks with disabilities, geeks in the LGBTQIA community to like be together in a safe space and celebrate fandom. That's what it was supposed to be. So instead, uh, the news came out Friday afternoon around like 11, 12, 1 o'clock-ish time, depending on where you were in the world, uh, that uh, it was canceled. So I'm going to go into how I found out, which was through Twitter, which is how a lot of people found out what was going on. So I'm on Twitter. You know, I'm super excited because FanCon is supposed to happen next week. So Friday was exactly one week away from when the convention was supposed to start. It was the 20th, 20th. 
So I'm super excited. I'm looking through Twitter, trying talking to other people who are exce- super excited about the con. I send off this message uh, to one person in particular who uh, had sent out, you know, like a question as to where she could find something for her cosplay outfit. And I hit her back with a suggestion and then she lets me know that's okay because now I'm not going to need it because it's been canceled. And I just feel my body get cold, cold. Like, you you know how you get really bad news and you just kind of freeze. You're just kind of like, wait, wait, what? No, wait, what? And immediately I'm like, that can't, that can't be true. That can't, that can't be true, right? Someone, someone's pranking us or scamming us, but it can't, it can't be canceled. It's a week before it's supposed to start. There's no way it's canceled, right? So I go to the Universal Fan Con Twitter page, nothing. There's nothing on there saying that they were canceled or postponed or anything. Everything seems to be business as usual with them. And their posting is still going out like, hey, get these tickets, come out to see us, you know, the weekend of the 27th through the 29th. So I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe somebody like hacked the system. Maybe somebody hacked the contents and is trying to say that it's not going down. Maybe that's what's happening. But then I'm looking through Twitter, I'm checking out the hashtag, and I'm seeing people say that they're getting emails from their hotel saying that it's been canceled. And then all of a sudden they're getting emails from FanCon itself. Like if you were a Kickstarter backer from back in the day, um, you got an email heads up that the convention was being postponed and that you know there were issues or whatever, but nothing too detailed and also nothing super apologetic about anything that's happening. So people are starting to panic a little bit more because some people got emails, some people didn't. And when the emails actually went out, you apparently some of the emails included like all of the emails of people who were going out. And it wasn't exactly like blind copy, like it's supposed to be. But I'm just feeling like even more sadness at like, how is this not happening? In dis- disbelief, how is this not happening? How Wait, what is going on? And mind you, still, there's nothing on the Universal Fan Con webpage at this point or on their Twitter feed saying anything's gone down. You know, another hour goes by and now there's a post on their Twitter saying it's been postponed as of right now. We're working on the details. I'm just like, wait, wait, what? And so I'm still hesitant to really do anything or or really get into the angry mode of things because I'm still like, maybe there's an explanation. Maybe there's just information that we don't see. Maybe it truly is postponed. Like maybe instead of the 27th or the 29th, they're going to do it May 27th or through the 29th. I don't even know if those lands on weekends, but that like, that's where my brain was at. I was like, this still can't be happening. There's no way it's not happening whatsoever. It's got to be happening at some, somewhere at some point. So I am glued to my Twitter from Friday afternoon into the evening and not really getting any full answers. I mean, finally, like late into the evening, I'm on East Coast time. There's a post up on Universal Fan Con on their Twitter and on their main webpage talking about how it's postponed and they ran into a financial deficit. And and I agree with a lot of people who read that original statement before some stuff got changed. It didn't sound super apologetic or even like a lot of responsibility was being taken for everything that unfolded the way that it unfolded. It very much read how, it kind of feels like how when you get into an argument with somebody and your little kids, 
and you're wrong and that person's wrong, but you want to show how much more wrong the other person is. So you try to distance yourself from them by like trying to detail other things to help your case a little bit more, even though they have nothing to do with what's going on. That's kind of how the statement read. Definitely that's how the statement made me feel was like, yeah, we see that this is bad, but the hotel should have done this. Or, uh, you know, we also are out of, of, of funds on this. Like, try, like, not trying to take away from the hurt of everybody else, what everybody else was feeling, but also not really acknowledging the depths of how bad this was, that it wasn't happening at all. So I got really sad. I got really just like, uh, I don't know what to do. And then on top of that, apparently the Infinity War screening was was still going on. They're like, yeah, this might be done, but we're still doing the screening on Friday. And me just, I just felt lost, felt lost and helpless because there was, there was, there was nothing for me to functionally do to make things better in any way. Like trying to get this refund, the way things sounded, the way things on Twitter were popping up, even the statement that they put out very much made it, made it seem like the money just wasn't there. The money was gone. So people are like, we need refunds. And and I agree. I, ho I hope at some point that that's what happens, but I'm not holding out too much hope that that's what's going to go down. So I'm reading everything on Twitter, seeing how everything's going down, and I'm seeing people relay this to other cons that were supposed to start up and didn't and ended and no refunds were given. So so I'm seeing all of that and my, my emotions are just spiraling some more. But in the midst of all of that, the... the I guess the sunlight in the clouds, is that what they say? The, I don't, you know what? My brain can't even function because I'm still like, Whoa, reeling, reeling from everything. But um, in the midst of all of this, a lot of people who've had, who have a much worse fallout to all of this than I do, find themselves stranded now in Baltimore next week and don't know what to do. Like they can't cancel their hotel stays they can't cancel their flights because it's a week before. And they're like, well, I'm either out this money or I make this trip. So what else can we do in Baltimore? Because <laughs> either way, I'm about to be there for three days. And wonderfully, a lot of the geek community has come together to try and put something together for people that are going to be in the Baltimore area trying to trying their best to, to salvage the mess that Universal Fan Con has become. So I know Nerds of Color got together and they're doing, oh, I want to say it's a WIMCON, WIMICON, W-I-M-C-O-N. Maybe there's another I somewhere in there. They're trying to do something out there in Baltimore. They're trying to get a schedule together. Um, some of the people that were behind the Magicians and I think a little bit of the Killjoys, which were the big panels that were supposed to be at Universal Fan Con. They're also trying to think of stuff to do to get stuff out there. And I'm sure within the next week or so, they'll be able to get some stuff finalized, but... Honestly, I mean, I'm not that far away from Baltimore to travel up there, but, and I, and I can't speak for everybody, but I don't have it in me to get up there to try and enjoy everything else that's just happened. Like I had to, I already canceled my hotel stay out there after, you know, they, uh, Universal FanCon finally put up that final statement of like, it is not happening on the 27th to the 29th. 
I already canceled my hotel stay to see if I can recoup the funds I spent on that. I mean, like a lot of people out there, I, I spent hundreds of dollars for this fan con. That's not happening. So, and, and I bought that Infinity War screening ticket, which I'm not going to go to. So here's hoping they, f they figure out what's going on. They refund money to the people who want their money refunded. And we get some answers as to real answers as to what went down and why, why things popped off the way they, they have been. I'm not going to lie. Things on Twitter are not looking great for anybody who was on the board for FanCon. They were, I don't know if I, if quick is the right word, but they had enough insight to take down the contact information for people who were involved with Universal FanCon because it wasn't a small list. It was a big list. And the, the repercussions of everything that's happening is so defeating as well. Like brands that were merely affiliated with them, I'm sure are being barraged with a lot of questions about what exactly is going on, whether or not they actually have the answers and and people who remember who the heads were, they, I'm, I know that they are just getting relentless DMs and tweets and, and call outs. And like, if you follow anything on there, some of the founders have put up their, their sentiments about what's going on. Some people accept the statements that they put out there. A lot more do not accept the statements that are going out there. And it's kind of created this windfall of, of just other shade, shady business that has been going on. It's depressing as heck. These are, these are brands that I loved, that I adored. And now I'm seeing like, I mean, nothing's perfect, but it's, it's heartbreaking. I feel like I'm in a movie. I feel like I'm in a movie of, you know, about somebody who's been following something and they've had like the highest of hopes for it. And then they get to see behind the curtain and it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. And it's just, it's, de it's demoralizing. It's, it's depressing. And yeah, and yeah, that's what's happening with FanCon right now. So as, as hyped as I was for Universal FanCon to happen, it's not. They're still trying to do stuff in Baltimore. I'm not going to go. Um, I'm, I'm able to recoup some of the leave I took to, to go. So I'm going to try and do that to try and salvage this money situation. And, uh, and try to go from there. And then the next thing I'll be looking forward to is Infinity War, which is happening next Friday. And that's, and that, that is what I'm going to be checking out with just my husband. Like I'm, I'm not traveling to Baltimore to do that full screening. There's the, the vibe, the vibe for that is not going to be pleasant. It's, it's going to be so depressing. So, so yeah, so that's my thoughts on Universal FanCon. Just a huge mess right now, a sad mess right now. I mean, I'm angry of everything that went down and I definitely want my money back for the ticket I spent. But I also understand that people make mistakes and more than likely they were in way over their head as to what was going on. Were the signs there for them to back down? Probably. Were the signs there for them to reach out and maybe get more help or, or listen to the help that was around them? Definitely. Uh, but I also understand taking on a dream and thinking that if you will it, it's going to happen. And then this shocking reality that it takes more than that to make it happen. So I don't, I don't harbor any ill will towards, towards any of the founders that did this because 
I believe in karma and that it's already showing how it's reverberating back already. So I'm just going to try and keep it as positive as I can in regards to this and really see see what can come out of this, honestly. It, if anything, it made me look at other cons that I maybe hadn't paid that much attention to because I mean, prior to Universal Fan Con, my only other experience with a con was San Diego Comic Con. And that was way back in the day. Like, I was a little kid. And this was when Comic Con was literally just tables of, like, books and figures and art. Like, that was it. There wasn't this big Hollywood presence. So Universal Fan Con was going to be my first, like, ooh, full encompassing live and in, and in charge type of fan con. But, um, but you know, there's other there's other diversity focused cons that are out there. There's Indigenous Con. There's Blurred Con out here in the DMV area. So um, if anything, it made me look at the, at those and, and checking out smaller cons as they're getting their footing. So yeah, so yeah, that's what's happening there. If you also have plans for Universal Fan Con, uh, let me know. I mean, the hashtag is still going, the fan con, but you can also hit me up at CGF recaps, hashtag CGF recaps, and we can talk about it too, if you need to. I mean, um, I'll be on the, on the Twitter. So I'm under Kirby Geeky Fangirl, minus the A and minus the I, because character limits on Twitter. But other than that, that's, that's my long rant about Universal Fan Con. So right after this, we're going to be picking it up a little bit, talking about happier times kicking it off with uh, the TV shows I caught over the week. And I'll be jumping into Supergirl right after this. All right, so Supergirl has returned from their two-month hiatus. And, um, okay, honestly, I've totally forgot everything that was happening in this show. It went on such a long hiatus. Not only that, this season of Supergirl has moments of being super strong, but it's definitely not the most memorable season so far. So between that and the fact that it took this hiatus, I was like, I don't remember what's happening here. But they gave us our filler episode, our filler-esque episode when we came back. And it was basically centered around when, kind of. I say kind of centered around when, like we got, we got a lot of story for when, but it was very like, it felt like padding towards other thing. It was it was a nice way to reintroduce the you know the faces we usually see on the show. Like immediately, the episode start off starts off with a line of the characters. Like okay, just so everybody's on the same page. This is Kara. We also have Jean, Jean's dad, Jimmy, Win, Alex. Like <laughs> the whole and went down the whole line, and not even too far into the episode. We get Jimmy calling Lena. So we're like, oh yeah, Jimmy and Lena kind of have a romantic thing happening. Lena's MIA. And it took me a minute to remember why Lena was MIA. And then just in case you completely forgot, they gave you a little bit more information towards the end of the episode. Sure. The CGI in this episode uh, was a lot more than we normally get. So I guess that two month hiatus helped them in that. Like, so they could preserve some of their budget to get these flying monkeys because... That was a lot of CGI. We got to see a lot of that. Also, uh, we got Monel. I totally forgot 
why Monel was like so pressed to talk to Kara. <laughs> like he, that whole scene where he's just like, I need to tell her, I need to tell her what's going on. And I was like, tell her what? Like, wait, what happened? I don't, I'm confused. But then, oh yeah, then, then again, not too, well, I'll say not midway through the episode. We're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. There was the whole mission thing that his wife and Brainiac uh, actually were planning for behind his back. And it was in regards to these these world killers that were popping up. Apparently one of them sets off a chain of events in their future that leads to their like apocalyptic type era. And they were trying to, to stop that before, you know, everything went down so they could fix their future. I and, and now I'm seeing like how that creates like a nice loophole for the writers for this. So like, I feel like this season is a test to see how well we do with Monel back back in the show. For the original, I want to say his first season into the show when they made him the love interest. I feel like people were really split on Monel being a part of Supergirl, the series. There were some who felt that Monel was just being really misogynistic in his portrayal of being her boyfriend, like. He wasn't taking anything she said literally. He was constantly questioning her. Uh, they had a lot of situations where he would be like the hero of the day. He was saving her from stuff. And a lot of people felt that was distracting or distracting and detracting from the message of Supergirl, which was supposed to be like this pro-feminist type show. And I feel like the writers heard that and they're like, okay, so we'll take a step back. And they wrote this whole storyline with Monel being in the future and being married. And, and now this is a new obstacle between him and Kara. But as the season is progressing, it feels to me like this is a, a testing the waters type thing. Like, yes, we are going to focus on Kara, but also Monel is still here in the background. And now that they've got this storyline where they're trying to stop a future event from happening, if they're successful, and we know they're going to be successful, that means they'll be rewriting the future effectively, which means that Monel may, nary, may never marry. Uh, what's her face? Jupiter Girl? Is that what her name is? Jupiter Girl? That other lady, he may never marry her, which means he will be free for Kara to get with. So I feel like it's a testing of that. Like, hey, we understand what you guys are saying. We've scaled back Monel. We're still making him pretty prominent, but we're not making him the focus like we did the last season. So those are my thoughts on Monel being back. Um, also, I had a lot of like, why is this here kind of moments with the show. Like uh, John's dad having uh, the Martian version of dementia. I think he called it like the Martian brain rot, I want to say, or brain waste or mind waste or something to that effect. Like, why did we need this in the show? Like, there's a ton of ways you could have written off the character. Why are we going down this road <laughs> to, to write off this character? Why couldn't we make it like, oh, he went back to Mars to help set up this new colony, right? Because the White Martians are still out there. Miss Martian is still out there like trying to basically, you know, stop the other Martians from taking it over completely, right? They're trying to make it more copacetic. But instead they're like, no, let's give him uh, dementia because sure, why not? Also, the very brief conversation they had about being black in America. Why? Why? I mean, okay, this show isn't has it, it's not like they've never done something like this before. They touch on a lot of topics that are happening in the world today. 
especially in regards to race and sexuality. They've made it very clear what their stances are on that. Um, but I just was confused as to why they threw this conversation into the mix in the middle of the dinner between Jean, his dad, and Alex being there. Like, they try to loop it in like, hey, you did a great job singing Elvis at the karaoke event. And then they looped that into John's dad learning more about what was going on uh, with rock in the 50s and 60s. He's like, yeah, you know, I like rock music, but it's very problematic because a lot of people of color wrote most of the music, but white people took the credit, meaning black people, black people wrote the music, white people took the credit. And she was like, oh, okay. And then that segued into, well, have you run into any kind of confrontation since you've been here? I was like, well, like, wait, that's a big jump from like, ooh, historical racism. Oh yeah, what racism have you faced since being in these streets? I was just, okay. I was like, oh, right. And his answer, of course, is no. You know, he uses the excuse that, you know, he's pretty much been limited to the apartment. So he hasn't been really out there at all. And he calls it like a silver line that's it, a silver lining calls it a silver lining of of you know basically being on house arrest and then we get john's response as well and he's like oh you know alex is like you know why did you choose to continue wearing you know this black man's face and you know he points out that you know at first it was desperation but you know now it's by choice because he wouldn't want to live in a world where he has to choose like a safe color to wear uh to be in this world he'd rather change the world um, so uh, okay again i see where they were trying to go with this it was awkwardly added in there and it didn't explain a lot and i also feel like this conversation at least for me would have gone over a lot better if jimmy was the one having the conversation with them. So, I mean, these are two, granted, these are two Martians and they've done a heavy parallel of showing like what it's like to be a green Martian versus a white Martian. They have done very little to hide <laughs> the parallels between that and what it's like to be of color in America against, you know, white in America. But these are also shape-shifting creatures who literally can don anybody, literally anything. Like the, if anything got crazy tough, they could just change what they look like. I mean, it's it's noble that John's like, oh no, I choose this to help make the world better. But at the end of the day, he's not a black man. He's literally a green Martian. So I, again, I see I see that they were trying to go a good way about it. It just wasn't executed well in my opinion. I definitely would have taken this conversation completely differently if it was Jimmy that was having that conversation and not Alex. It was, it was strange. It was a strange way to introduce this into the show. And then um, the Wynn's mom storyline, again, I was like, they had to remind us at the beginning of the credits, like, hey, remember that time we found out Wynn's dad was a toy maker and he was like crazy evil? So we're gonna follow up with that now. Like, it was, like there's, it's, there's, we haven't touched on it since the last time we talked about the toy maker. Like, there hasn't been any hints in this ep in this season at all about when dealing with his dad. And then they just kind of plop it in there. And not only do they plop it in there, they're like, "Oh, he's dead." Just jokes, guys. He's dead. 
and we're going to introduce a new parent in. And then they gave Wynn and his mom, who is played by the lady from Roseanne, uh, this very weird storyline about how they haven't seen each other for a long time. I would have to go back and watch season one, but I don't remember if they went into deep detail about what happened with Wynn's mom or not. I think I can recall him like having a phone conversation with her, but who knows? So in this latest episode, they par- they set it up like, okay, Wynn's mom is here, you know, she's she's back in his life, but apparently they've gone decades without talking to each other. And, you know, the stories behind that are kind of cloudy because you've got her take, which is that, you know, his dad, the toy maker, threatened to murder her if she tried to get near Wynn. They don't really say why or like what to what end that was. And then we've got Wynn's take on it, which was that she just rolled. She just she just escaped and didn't want to be around her son either. And then come to this whole like fight and then middle ground eventually. Meanwhile, a completely forgettable villain comes in. Apparently, she has taken up the mantle to be the toy maker. They gave a very loose story as to how she even got involved with the toy maker. She was a former guard. She became his apprentice. And it, it basically got cleaned up really quickly. I, it feels like they were like, okay, we need a monster of the, of, the, of the episode, a baddie of the episode. Here's what that is. But really, we just need to establish what's been going on since the break. Like, that's really, that's, that's it. Unfortunately, the Wynn storyline is completely throwaway. Like, we don't gain anything extra. I mean, we get to see his mom. We get a lot of quality Wynn time. So if Wynn's your favorite character, you got that. But we really, I, it was filler. It was filler. And just to get everybody back on board, be like, okay, we're back from the break. And now we'll kick back off. So there was that. Uh, and we also got, we got some scenes with Jimmy. Like I said, talking with Lena again. I completely forgot what Lena was even trying to do. And she was MIA for most of the episode. And they feed that into the scene at the very end where you see her calling Jimmy back and being like, yeah, I'm so sorry of being, I know, hard to get a hold of, but you know, I'm in the midst of doing something really important. And then, you know, the camera zooms out and we see her in a box in what I'm assuming is a warehouse with Sam unconscious in a hospital bed. So Sam AKA Rain, like uh, there was a whole revelation that came out in the episode before the break, which is when Lena put together that Sam's blackouts timed exactly with Rain's appearances. So she's figured out that Sam and Rain are the same person and she's taken it into her own hands to figure out how to either split these personalities apart or, or help Sam gain control of the Rain personality. What are the, who knows? Sky's the limit with Lena. She can create anything. But we ended with that. So I'm like, okay. You know, I love Supergirl. I really do. I really like what it brings to the Arrowverse itself. I know Supergirl's not supposed to be a part of Arrowverse, but let's not kid ourselves. Um, But it feels stagnant right now. Like the rain thing was interesting. And it got even more interesting when we got the other word killer, I want to say Hope was her name or Chastity, something of that nature. Uh, it got interesting with her too. And she was part of the last episode before we, we kicked it off to this break. But it's been a lot of paddling right now, like just keeping afloat for right now until whatever this end finale is. And I think that's also the problem with having super long series. 
They have a basic idea. They've got to stretch it out for 22, 23 episodes, sometimes like 16, 18 episodes. Either way, super long amounts of episodes. And they're doing this all in like a, a, a speck of an idea. And now they got to fill everything else in. And it's kind of evident that that's what's going on. So that was pretty much Supergirl all wrapped up. Not a whole lot of revelation, not a whole lot of new, just a lot of catch up. I'm hoping next episode is going to pick up a little bit more. We're getting into finale season. So here's hoping we get something by the end of everything. So I'm going to be talking about Black Lightning right after this. All right. So Black Lightning had their finale this last week. And it was a great one. Black Lightning, as short of a series as it was, only 16 episodes, was by far my favorite series that was out for CW with their DC TV universe. It was just so great. It was, I mean, it wasn't a perfect series. Like it wasn't like 100% every single time, but the characters were just so dynamic. They have a villain that you kind of root for, but also are like, no, you're bad. Like you're evil. <laughs> or maybe that's just me. Like I am definitely smitten with Tobias Whale, but also you just had this culmination of like family and, and just commitment to each other. And it, it's been, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So let's dive into this finale. It definitely brought the feels. I definitely teared up more than once watching this finale. Uh, it finally gave me what I wanted. We got a team family lightning set up. Uh, one of the big bads on the show because we ended up having like more than one villain for there for a little bit got put down uh we got to see more about tobias and exactly what he's trying to do and where he's trying to go with everything um and some surprises and some great music so first off for me is the fact that jennifer is finally getting a win like this jennifer has been been i i guess they're trying to mold her into like just a a really angsty, moody teenager. Like that's what they've been trying to do the whole season. She's made a lot of really interesting decisions in regards to what she's trying to do. Like earlier in the season, we got her drinking and like trying to just really cause a lot of trouble because she was feeling some type of way about things that were going on in her life. And then uh, she gets powers and she's even more moody about that. And just like, I want to be a regular person, blah, 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 blah. We had the drama between her and Khalil there for a minute where he was the voice of reason. And then, you know, his tragedy kind of went down and now she's slowly becoming the voice of reason. So there was a lot about Jennifer that was just like, no, heavy eye roll. Let's, Let's get to the next part. But she was a standout for this finale. She really was. And I... I don't want to credit all that moodiness. I don't think we needed that much of it to get the character to where she was by the finale, but it definitely helped. Also, I'm not a writer, so maybe we did. Maybe we needed all of that to like <laughs> get things settled for this finale. There was a whole part in there for Jennifer. Like she had already the episode previously used her ability to help save her dad. She jump starts his heart. And then uh in the rest of the episode, like once he comes out of his coma. Uh, he realizes he doesn't have the ability to produce lightning, like to to be his namesake, Black Lightning. Would it be his namesake? Yeah, kind of. Well, it'll be the name he chose, basically, be Black Lightning. So um, 
they get into a bind. Like the ASA is coming. They're about to tear, you know, take them down in the house. Jefferson needs to do something to help his family so that they can leave, so they can run. And, you know, they can't put it all on Anissa. They can't put it all on Thunder to get everything done. So he t basically tells Gamby to like Jerry rig his suit to make it look like he still can do something at Black Lightning. And he was going to work as a distraction to help the rest of the family leave. And Jennifer is listening to this plan and realizing that in this plan, her dad is basically sacrificing himself. Like she's like, okay, so we do all that. And, you know, Anissa does what you say and Gabby does what you say and we leave out the back, but you're still going to be face to face with the ASA with no powers. And he's just like, don't worry about it. We just listen to what I have said and try to leave with your mom. And she can't. She's like, no, no. And I'm not going to lie. I absolutely teared up when she throws her arms around her dad crying and her powers start to go. And it glows and it kind of becomes a swirling power hug type of situation. And she's just crying and she's like, more. And people are like, wait, wait, hold up a second. <laughs> I'm like, no, Jennifer, wait a second. And they're not sure what's going on. Like that whole moment, oh, really did. It brought tears to my eyes. I was like, oh my gosh. Like we're getting the culmination of Jennifer really, really understanding what she can do with these abilities. Like even in, if it's in regards to just saving her family members, she's tapping into it. We also get like almost like this full circle of of a, one of the children, one of the Pierce's kids seeing their father in danger and you know, unlike Jefferson's case where he couldn't do anything to help his dad, we've got a situation where Jennifer can, she can do something to help her dad. And she does. So we see all that. And it was just like, oh my gosh. Like I, I started tearing up there. And then, you know, he finds out he has a little bit of power and we get this wonderful moment where he's like, you know, you're getting into a habit of really saving your dad. Like it's, I was just like, okay, like I forgive Jennifer. Like this, 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 it was worth it. It was worth it for this part. And then we got even more standout from her. So stuff goes down and we get a fantastic soundtrack in the process. I don't care who you are. Almost everybody named Mama knows Earth, Wind and Fire's Shining Star. Like it doesn't, I don't care. I don't care where you're, like, how old you are, where you're from. That Those first few beats, everybody knows what's about to happen. And it just timed so well with the action that was going on. Not only that, it was just really great to see this montage kickoff and it wasn't tied to, well, initially wasn't tied to like a super trendy rap song or, or rock ballad or anything like that. It was a song that like cookouts the world over know and and listen to and immediately you see like the the precedence that this song is taking this is a black song for a black show with black superheroes it was great to see that and and they start taking they start handling their business anissa's out there as thunder doing her thing we got jefferson back in the game doing his thing we got gamby in the house uh, trying his best to do his thing, and he's great at hand-to-hand -hand combat. And then we find out um, Lynn also has a thing. I'm going to get more into that. But there's a whole part where like everybody's trying to take care of what they can. These agents are coming after them, and Jennifer finds herself in a predicament where, you know, she's kind of run to her mom after a bunch of stuff has just gone down. And as she's hugging her mom, she sees behind her, another agent is about to make their way through. And she uses her powers again to like save her mom and get this agent out the way. 
And it was, it was great. It was great to see that happen. And then we get another instance of Jennifer using her powers. Mind you, again, this is somebody who hasn't had time to practice her ability at all, like to really get a handle on it. So it's amazing that she's able to wield them the way she is. When they've cornered the, the baddie, they've cornered the main agent who set up this uh, ridiculous testing on these kids and who apparently has been a part of this program since the get. And it seems like it was off the books, like it wasn't you know government mandated necessarily. So they kind of corner him and you know they basically lay it out like, we understand what you did. We're gonna help these kids you've stolen, blah, 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 blah. And then he tries to bargain and, and is like, you know, you need to keep me alive. I'm the only one who can take care of all of this. I was just so happy Gamby and, and Jen were there because he starts spouting off at the mouth about stupid crap. And Jennifer's had it. Like they've been at death's door like a gazillion times already. And she just goes after him. She like does this like electric lasso thing where it totally wraps around him and she uses it to lift him up and then slam him into the ground. It was wonderful. <laughs> I loved I loved the slight scolding she gets from Jefferson where he's just like, Jennifer. <laughs> and she just looks at him like, mm. Like what? But that that was nice. We're gonna do angsty teenager attitude. I hope we get more payoffs like that, where she's doing exactly what the rest of us are feeling. Like, I'd appreciate that. So that that was great. Jennifer really stepped it up, and we got a lot of golden moments with her. Oh uh, wait, and then like I said, Anissa, Liz, Anissa has stayed being a badass. Like she, that's just been her lane this entire time. And she did disappoint again. Like, you know, I love the whole speech Gamby had with her where he was like, you are the strongest of us. And I don't think he, he phrased like as of right now, because Jefferson, at the time Jefferson was in his coma. But I think that's also like the reality of things. You are the strongest of us. So we need you. Like you're, you're going to be pivotal to how we survive this. I loved that whole speech he gave her. And I also loved how she just steps up without question. Like when they need her, even when he, when Gabby's trying to talk her down from doing something, she listens, she actively listens. And it's nice to see that because it happens a lot in the hero shows where, you know, you get somebody and they're trying to tell them this may not be the bestest plan. And then usually that person just goes and does what they want to do anyway to the detriment of everybody else. But in Anissa's case, and then this has happened more than once when she has this sit down and they talk to her and they're like, you really need to look at the bigger picture. She does. And it's to the betterment of everybody. So hand claps all around to Anissa staying a badass and just being such a strong character. And then Lynn. So like I said, that whole part where everybody, it, we get team lightning, team family lightning all up and running here. Lynn also doesn't disappoint that whole scene from start to finish had me tearing up just in pride because it was just so great to see these people just be like, we have had it. We are at our wit's end. We aren't doing this anymore. And just be done with it and do something about it. It was great. You see Lynn talking to Gamby. Gamby's gearing up. He's got the guns. He's telling everybody what they got to do. Lynn grabs a shotgun. She's like, give me one of those. And he's like, are you sure? Like he gives her a look like, are you sure? He hands her the shotgun and she immediately shows him like how she knows how to handle it. And she's like, what? My dad used to take us hunting. Like it was, <laughs> it was great. It was great. And she handled this. And she even managed to take out one of those agents herself, which led to that whole Jennifer scene. 
Lynn stepped it way up, way, way up. She's come a long way for me. I, I, I mean, as much as I gave Jennifer grief, she's always kind of stayed in the periphery. But Lynn definitely was on my dog list for a long time. And she's her character arc and growth has been amazing. I hope this was all on purpose. I hope they didn't make changes because of how some people were reacting to her character or not. But I, I loved it. I love that she started out as like this kind of like war weary, not necessarily a widow, but somebody who was like at the precipice of being one. Like she was, she didn't want to have to deal with all of the responsibilities that come with being the spouse to Black Lightning. And then basically her growth and seeing that like, yo, this is, this is it. This is the man I love. These are their children that we have lovingly created together. They are, we're all tied into this. We are all tied into this. And no matter how much I fight it, this is going to be it for us. And then her just getting on board and being like, okay, well, what do I got to do to help? Like Lynn, Lynn's doing great. Lynn's doing wonderful. And then, okay, the more tears. So more tears happen when we got into Jefferson's whole story. So the whole time he's in the coma, we're getting like the backstory to really how he became Black Lightning. And so he definitely was one of the kids that was being tested on uh, with, with with the vaccine that they were trying to push as being like a cure-all for something. And um, we see a lot of the sayings and statements and mannerisms and even teachings that Jefferson does and has been doing throughout this whole series began with his father. His father is spouting this stuff off to a young Jefferson to help him realize what's going on and really interpret what's happening. And I'm not gonna lie, I again teared up when we had the whole scene where adult Jefferson is walking down the stairs after being called by his dad and what looks like to be a memory, sits down with his father who he hasn't seen, I'm gonna tear up now, who he hasn't seen, you know, since his, his death and just has this whole discussion. It definitely was very Black Panther-esque of like, you know, talking with your, your forefathers and trying to gain wisdom. Papa Pierce, the, oh, the actor they chose to do Papa Pierce, amazing. He did a great job and I just loved that he stayed this mentor for Jefferson. They tied it into him as a little kid. They tied it into him as an adult, like how he's still heeding the words of his father and like really, really taking away the lessons from, from everything else that's going around him. And you get to this part where he's like, you know, you're not, you're not done yet. There's still more work to do. So you gotta, you gotta go. And he does. And that's how he wakes up out of his coma and we get the rest of the stuff, but just, Oh, so many feels, all these tears. This, this, the finale was great. They did a great job of tying in all of these things we've learned from the earlier part of the season to now. They did a wonderful job of doing all of that. So after, even with all of that going down, we still have Tobias Whale to deal with as well. So Tobias in the meanwhile has been plotting and planning on how to get the head of the SA out of his power right now, he to, Tobias is all about being the head honcho, being number one. And to do so, he's gotta take all those people out. We find out why he brought Lala back. He, he did a reanimation program. We also find out what Lala actually is. So he's Tattoo Man, which is in the comics. So we find out he's that. And we find out that he might not be able to die. So there was a reanimation program 
that included uh, Lala coming back to life. And the side effect of that is that anybody he's killed comes back basically to haunt him and then become a tattoo that's burned into him every life he's ever taken. And then we get a scene where A, Tobias has some kind of mind control over him. Like he gets to, he can force him to do his bidding and not talk about it. He uses him as a bomb mule to go after these ASA agents as a distraction and as a way for him to get into the agency. And it works. I mean, we're kind of left like, maybe Lala died, maybe he didn't. I mean, he's died before and came right the heck back. I need to do my research on Tattoo Man. I don't know if he's like immortal, but it, it, they definitely left it gray, like he might be back. So I hope they bring Lala back. The actor who plays Lala is very good at what he does. The, his storyline has been all over the place and it's been mad confusing a lot of the time, but he's managed to keep this character super interesting. So I hope Lala comes back again in some way or fashion. I would even love it if it takes like an anti-hero route. So here's hoping, fingers crossed for second season and they dive, they get to dive into Lala a little bit more. So here's hoping for that. But meanwhile, Tobias Whale's doing big bad things. We got some backstory on Cyanide, the girl that's with him. Apparently, she was a young lady who he rescued from an orphanage. Did did he? So apparently she was a meta and, oh no, I'm thinking of Killer Frost. Sorry, I am mixing things right now. Totally different thing. So, but no, so apparently Cyanide was a girl who was just really, really being abused by her parents and got put into the foster system. And Tobias was somebody who reached out to her and who she kind of like bonded with. And he put her through a lot of testing. She's got some kind of metal underneath her as well, like in her skin. And the way Yambi phrased it was like, if she wasn't super crazy before, she was definitely crazy from all the pain she had to endure afterwards. And now she's just like this killer hungry person. That's the side, best man, side man. Number two, number two in Tobias's little organization he's doing right there. So you got that. We got more about Tobias and the serum he's taking and how it like extends his life, slows his aging and increases his strength. That's what happens with it. And it's, it's not green light. It's something else he's got to inject himself with on a daily in order to maintain it. Um, we also find out that there's a box of something. I'm assuming green light. So in the midst of everything, after the ASA takeover and takedown, uh, Tobias manages to leave the agency with a suitcase that can only be opened by the, the head guy. Because the head guy got shot by Gamby, uh, the coroner, after recouping, you know, getting the body, takes off the dude's thumbs and sends it to Tobias, which Tobias then uses to open up the suitcase. And they kind of leave it ominous as to what's in that suitcase. I'm assuming it's gonna be green light. I'm assuming it's more green light for him to check out. It might be even something worse than that. I'm just, that's gonna get crazy, but so he's got at least those tools in his hands. The speech Tobias is, the Tobias, the speeches that Tobias got to give were amazing. They give this character a lot of things to say that at first you're like, this makes sense. Like this is it's very Killmonger-esque. We're like, I see your logic behind this, but then, you know, he's evil. So you're like, no, ultimately this is this is terrible. So all of that was happening with Tobias. It was, it was really good. It was really good. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with this villain in the next season. It's 
gonna it's it's got promised to be amazing so so we'll see we'll see what everything happens uh i did love the very end we got a nice little closure scene of the family running again you see jefferson you see his girls anissa and jennifer running next to him everybody it's slow motion everybody's laughing and then they run to the house and Lynn's outside and they run up to Lynn and they're all on the stoop and it's very full house-esque, but I loved it. It was a nice icing on the cake for everything that's going to go on. But there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of loose ends right now. What's going to happen to the kids in these containers, the surviving ones, because they're dropping like flies right now. So what's going to happen to these surviving kids? What's going to happen with the green light that's still in rotation in the streets right now? who's really going to be helping to control the 100 like tobias is still the head of it he got rid of lala he got rid of a lot of people that are part of the organization some of these people also got just straight murdered and killed off in the process of everything so what's going to happen with the 100 as well what exactly does tobias have in this suitcase and who else from the asa is going to come down the vice principal is still one of the lackeys for the asa and a, Jefferson and the rest still don't know that she's tied to it. And and B, now that the head guy is gone, they're they're gonna put somebody else in his place. Granted, Gamby figured out that that guy, the lead ASA guy, was doing things that were not sanctioned, but that doesn't mean that the trail ended with him. I'm sure he was answering to somebody, and it was clearly set up for them to like be successful in whatever this experiment was and then bring it to the ASA attention. So I'm sure it's not done. I'm sure that experiment is not done. I, I'm i still interested to see what's happening with that vice principal once everything blows out. And here's hoping that this this next season gets gets to tell us all of that, however many episodes that those are. I'm excited. So yeah, so, so Black Lightning blew it out of the park for me. And I will be moving on over oh, to The Flash, which is gonna be real short because oh, the flash is getting on my nerves. And after that, I'll be The Expanse right after this. All right, so I'm actually gonna push The Flash and The Expanse into this one segment because it's there wasn't a whole lot that went on in either show. We got like a little bit more information in The Expanse. The Flash has been treading water, so bear with me. Here we go, we're gonna talk about The Flash first. Mostly, I'm just, uh, okay, so if you've been listening, you know, Flash used to be my favorite show on the DC TV, TV shows right now, the CW, and it's quickly just, I don't, it feels like it's losing steam. It feels like the writers are like, okay, yes, we know we have, you know, so many episodes to stretch this out. We really know we want to do something around this villain. We're just going to wing it from there. Like, that's what it, that's what it feels like. I'm sure there's a plan in there somewhere and maybe the finale will just like blow me away. But as of right now, the, this season of The Flash has been really stagnant. It's treaded a lot of water. It's It feels like it's gone nowhere. I feel like other prior seasons moved a lot faster than this and that it felt like the characters were actively trying to find a resolution. And in this current season, it feels like Whenever we get back to them in the next episode, they like still are like, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what to do. They literally have somebody who can open up time portals and can see parts of the future. We've got another person who can freeze things. We're littered with supers, with metas. But for whatever reason, we can even tap into other speedsters and other planets, other metas and other, and other planets, but other Earths. 
And for whatever reason, we're still like, we don't know what to do about the vote. It's it's really infuriating. It really is. And that is pretty much the sum up of this episode. So, I mean, this, this last episode, we had a huge loss. Dibney dies. Why? Why? So there was this whole story around Barry and Ralph and like Barry really trying to reach Ralph because Ralph was all gung-ho about killing DeVoe, like on site. And Barry was like, no, we're heroes and heroes don't kill. I beg to differ. Batman and Superman have both murdered. Uh, but uh, I guess we're not we're not talking about that in the TV series. So, but yeah, it gives him this long, long speech about, you know, the qualms of, of losing yourself and becoming a monster. Basically, if you decide to take a life, and Dibney listens, and then he dies. So, like, Barry, shut up. Like, he, there was a whole part in there where Dibney could have effectively stopped DeVoe. Effectively. But he chose not to because he wanted to be like Barry and, I guess, do the hero thing. So he cuffs him and, like, is like, okay, so we're just going to turn him in and put him in one of the holding areas. Of course, DeVoe has been... A gazillion steps ahead of them this entire time. Easily gets out of that, kills Dibney, takes over his powers and his body, calls it a day. The fuck? Anyway, okay, so <laughs> this show, this show. So, okay, I understand that the Dibney character may not have been a permanent character. That's fair. Even though he's my favorite character, I understand he may not have been a permanent character. Julian wasn't a permanent character. There's been a lot of, of, of other characters that have come and gone on the show. Fair. What I don't get, however, is why, A, it was super easy for DeVoe to get the rest of those metas. Well, A, they were all in one place. There's that. They were keeping them all for some reason in the lab. But also, like, nobody knew or thought that maybe DeVoe would pop up into the into their lab. Like, Cisco couldn't see anything. They didn't, like I had, I had a thousand questions as to why this went down. And now what the heck are we supposed to do with it? Like, ugh, just ugh, 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 ugh. So that frustration. Also, we got a random storyline with like Joe and Harry, uh, with Harry being addicted to his thinking helmet now that there's dark matter attached to it because he's been talking to Gideon in the, in the secret little room that you know the other Harrison Wells had. And he's becoming more and more addicted to the power of it to the point where it gets to the point where he like tries to use all of it and like overpower himself and it leaves him kind of stunned and fried. And that's, and of course, of nobody's help at all. And they even tied it into like an addiction thing with Joe saying he recognized the symptoms because his wife was similar. It was a real loose reach to this story. I don't know if they just needed a storyline to to appease these other members or what but it 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 was a throwaway storyline i didn't really need i didn't really need and i felt like it didn't really assist in anything it didn't help drive the stakes up on anything so maybe it'll drive the stakes later now we'll see like the the repercussions of doing this and what that means to harrison hopefully something otherwise like i'm not sure why we got that thrown in there and then also we have Caitlyn and the Frost thing. So apparently Caitlyn and Killer Frost have become friends and they've been leaving post-it notes to each other. Like every time they've had to switch back and forth between their personalities. 
they leave little notes for each other and like send each other little gifts, which is cute. I kind of liked where they were going with that, but honestly, it's been exhausting to watch the Caitlyn Killer Frost switch back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like, I'm still not really sure why they wanted to go that route. Was it like the writers were really attached to Caitlyn as a character? Cause she's, she's been around a long time and didn't want to completely switch her to Killer Frost or, or was it a situation where they were like, the, the girl who plays Caitlyn was like, yeah, I like everything we're doing here, but wearing those contacts and having that wig and, and the full, all the makeup it takes to do this, it's a little exhausting. Like I can't do that every single time. Or maybe it was budgetary. Like, okay, we'd have to do that and get the CGI effects in place so that we could show her doing all of this. That's expensive. So we're going to just flip it back and forth. Either way. Uh, so we get another Killer Frost as he tries to help out. It doesn't go well. Um, DeVoe easily, easily handles her. Basically tells her to thaw as he touches her. And I guess in the process of all of that, not only did she turn back into Caitlyn, but apparently she lost Killer Frost. So uh, they said it was tied to dark matter and DeVoe has a machine that, that takes dark matter. So Caitlyn no longer has the ability to switch over to Killer Frost right now. Okay, sure. So we've got that. And then, um, and that was it. Yeah, that was it. That was pretty much the show. That was the show. Demi died. Killer Frost is gone. Uh, Harry might be losing it right now. Uh, DeVoe's winning everything. Like, that's it. Like, that's it. That's, that was the episode. I, I, I just I have a thousand questions. I don't know why they went the route they did. Also, the thing that's really sticking out for me is they did a really good job of making you feel for Marlies. So the wife of DeVoe. In a previous episode, they showed how DeVoe was using her to get all this other stuff done, like using the tears of the weeper and and doing all kinds of things to make sure that she did not leave him, altering her her memories, drugging her and her, and, when, and her realizing what's happening and realizing he's a monster and trying to distance herself. Like we got that whole episode and they left it open as to like why that, that's how he was controlling her. But it felt like they were gonna go back and address it again. Like either she was gonna figure out a way to warn herself and maybe switch or, or something, something else was gonna go down. But instead, nothing. We're now into this new episode and it's like nothing happened, period. And she's fighting with Iris and this whole thing. It was very, it was, you know, all of it was weird. <coughs> all of it was weird, excuse me. And Digby is, and Dibney is dead. And Dibney's dead. Whatever, Flash. So that's it. That's it for the Flash. And we'll be moving into the Expanse because I honestly don't know what's happening with the season. If they just gave up or maybe this is just their lull. Maybe they just were like, ah, maybe this, I don't know. So we'll find out. I'm, we're getting closer and closer to to finale season we're getting we're inching our way there i'm hoping the finale is going to make up for a lot of this so there's a ton of speculation as to what's happening there's a ton of speculation as to characters possibly leaving so we'll see we'll see what's going on with that the expanse the expanse actually had a lot of things that happened um but i'm going to mostly sum it up because this show is super layered and I could spend days talking about it, but I'm not going to. So this latest episode of The Expanse, uh, it was kind of centered around Prax and his, and finally the focus on finding his daughter, May. Like, 
Holden has turned this new leaf and he's like, this is what's important. I'm so sorry, Prax, we're going to do this for you. And that's kind of where we're leading the crew of the former Rosanade crew right now. I have, I totally forgot what they actually named their ship, but I, you know, I'll figure it out at some point. So it was this whole episode of like how, um, oh, the obstacles start popping up in their path. They get a like help request, like they catch uh, as a Martian ship. And they kind of come up, you know, they kind of are put in like this do we or don't we type of situation. Like, do we help them, which means postponing, looking for May again, or do we ignore it and focus 100% on May? And Holden's all like, we need to focus 100% on May. We don't need these other distractions. And we've got Alex who's like, no, there's somebody who needs our help. And like, you know, this is a fellow Martian. You know, this is any, if with anybody else, you guys would have done this already, which is true. Like, like all, every time anybody else has popped up and been like, I need the help, they were right there. But Holden's like, no, that's part of the reason why we got stuck in the way that we did. So, no. And then they leave it up to Prax. And Prax is like, no, yeah, we need, we should help them. If we can help them, we should help them. And that's where he leaves it. And I love that he had a whole speech between him and Amos. And Amos was like, why would you do this? Like, why would you, for all, I mean, for all intents and purposes, doing this is A, not going to get us any closer to helping you find May. And B, ultimately leads to nothing. I mean, yeah, we're going to help them do this. But that's not to say that they're going to survive anything past this. So, like, what was the point? And I love that Prax is like, well, if we're able to help, we should absolutely help like that. That's part of the beauty of being a person right now. And just, just Amos is like, how, like him trying to rationalize this concept. Like, okay, okay, all right. I love that. I also love that we got a little bit more with May. So May's alive and well-ish. The doctor is still very much like doing his mad science doctoring. Uh, he's real creepy. He's real creepy. So we get May. She wakes up out of her pot. She's having a nightmare. Uh, and she is trying to get to her dad. Like her dreams about her dad and how she can't get to him. And then she wakes up and this creepy Dr. Strickland is there and he's baby voicing it. And it's just like, Oh, sweetie, we need to do this and, and that. And then maybe you'll see your dad. And, and then you see his face drop and he's looking at readings and, and trying to take things seriously. And then we see Mao is there and he's looking over things and like just has a lot of questions as to what's going on with the rest of these kids. So, and then we get a nice backstory as to what's happening really with the proto molecule, Dr. Strickland and these kids. So apparently these kids all have some type of debilitating disease that works to host the proto molecule. So it works in like almost a symbiosis right now where like the proto molecule kind of not necessarily reverses the effects of this disease, but definitely like stops it so that the child can live because the host needs to live. But also while doing so, the these kids are able to kind of control the protomolecule. So it's not just running off and doing what it wants, like, you know, eating radiation. So all of that is happening. We see that May has a friend out there. I want to say his name was Toa or Koa. It was definitely Polynesian based. So I was excited for that. But we see that she's not the only kid that survived the the attack that I don't even remember what that planet was. But basically that glass looking planet um, that she was on that they had to take her off of when everything started falling onto it. And um, we see that she's not the only kid that they managed to take out of there. And not only that, but like you know, he showed the kid shows her 
how his arm is glowing. And we see Strickland catching that as well. We also see that Mao needs results immediately. Like everything's falling apart. His family is being held as prisoners because he's technically a criminal right now at large. And all his plans for this proto-molecule are falling apart. So he's like, destroy everything. I'll see you later. And <laughs> but Strickland's like, no, no, no. We can control it with these kids. I promise you, there's a way for us to still continue with this mission. And Mal's like, okay, like, you know, all right, so far, I like what you're saying. So I'll come back and check on you at a later time as, as an evil dictator that I am. So there's that with Prox and May. Um, I'm here's hoping that they meet sooner rather than later. So Expanse does a really good job with storytelling. And I know they have great, they have a great source with the books. So I hope that we get to see this unfold even more so. Um, oh, also, there was the whole Prax nearly dying thing. So they're in the midst of trying to save the ship that they agreed to help save. And they had to make sure everything was locked up because, you know, they're going to be doing some crazy maneuvering to help save the ship. And we don't need random objects just flying around the ship. So Prax was in charge of locking up this locker. And he thinks he did. Clearly he didn't because it opens right up after the first turn the ship makes. And now there's like all this like Sharpenel flying at them <laughs> with little screwdrivers and other handle tools that are now working as like as Sharpenel. They're just killing devices. So you see them like they're strapped in with the air going and they're trying to dodge these things at the same time. And ultimately we get into a situation where Prax gets in trouble. One of the, One of these flying objects has knocked his air tube out. He's losing oxygen. Amos has to get out of his seat and like MacGyver his way over to him. It was really cool to see how all this was working in space with zero gravity and how they were trying to acclimate for it. Mind you, this is the, the whole time that Amos is doing this. He has no oxygen in his suit either. So, and he's talking to him and telling him to hold on and doing all this stuff. I don't think Amos is human. So eventually Amos is able to save the day and he even has a cool like moment where this this full-on screwdriver is headed straight towards Pax's face and he catches it like centimeters away from his face and then tells him to hold it for right now <laughs> as they finish the rest of these maneuvers. That was really cool to see all that go down. So both boys are alive and well right now. Then we had Bobby and Avasarala. They are still in their getaway ship. They're in that racing ship that they stole from Mao's other ship. When the you know midst of trying to get everything, their safe, their safety, trying to get all their safety and survive, they know Mal has put out the word to go ahead and kill Avasarala. She's a loose end right now, and they know that Mal's got ties to Earnright, who also wants Avasarala put down. So they they've got to they have to keep a ridiculous speed because a there's now a full war going on. Earth and Mars are going at it. The belt is going to be making their way into it. So they're they're already seen as criminals because they've already been painted as such by Earnright. And not only that, they're they're they have to run for their lives. Mao's trying to kill them. So they have to keep this ship, this racing ship, at a ridiculous speed, and it is wrecking over Sarala. Her body cannot handle the speeds they've got to keep or maintain. So Basically, even though Bobby's trying to find out another way to do everything, Officer Rala realizes they're going to have to turn themselves in. If they want to continue to live, they've got to turn themselves into like the least evil option 
they've got. And she determines that that's going to be the Marines or the Martian Marines. Let's go ahead and turn ourselves over to Mars because uh, we know we're already enemies of Earth right now. So we might as well go ahead and go to Mars. You know, they'll they'll figure out what to do with us because she's still a high ranking official technically. And then maybe she can get somebody to listen to them about what's been going on. Bobby agrees in like in like a nick of time. She puts out her message. This relates back to how Holden and them had heard this message. Uh, they get themselves in a predicament where they're trapped in between two Earth ships that have been ordered to kill Avsarala. They send off missiles, whatever the weaponry is, to them, and it doesn't go anywhere. So it turns out the former Rosanate is in the area as well and they're doing their best to shield this little ship from everything that's going down. Holden pulls off some crazy maneuvers that he either created or learned when he was in the Navy there and they managed to save Avasarala and Bobby. They, and you see Avasarala and Bobby make their way onto the ship. Avasarala pretty much is out. She's in coma but Bobby is carrying her over there and they make it into the ship and the episode basically ends with them making it on board and we see Holden's face as he like recognizes who's coming on board. Oh, it was good. It was good. It was good. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I'm excited to see Alex and Bobby interact with each other. It'll be another Martian for Alex to, to that he's to community to talk with. He hasn't talked to another Martian in ages, in ages. And here's Bobby. So I'm excited to see how that's all going to go down. I'm also excited to see like now that we've got two of the main groups that we are normally following together, like what this is going to mean for the rest of the story. I love the team up I, and plus war is coming. So, and, and all the information that Avasarala has that she's now going to be able to share with Holden and, and Hopefully, Holden and them are going to be able to share information with her so they can kind of piece together what exactly is about to happen and maybe stop a full-out war. So that'll be exciting to see. We also got introduced to a new character. I'm going to call her Rev, Reverend Anna because I can't say her last name at all. And, okay, so I don't read the book, so I'm not exactly sure what's happening here. So we get this brand new character, and it kicks off with her like at a protest and she's actually trying to aid one of the protesters it's very clear that she's part of like the upper echelons of whatever this this system is because she's kind of rich looking and she's got bodyguard detail but she's doing her best to try and help this protester that got really hurt by the cops that are there i guess to help tame the crowd or whatever so you see her doing that, and that's how they set the tone for her, of her being like, I'm paying attention to the little person. I kind of side with the little person. We find out she's got a wife and a child back home that she hasn't seen in a while. She's doing some kind of weird tour right now. We also see that she's got a, a history with the Secretary General. Like apparently she's being one of his writers at some point. And then she became a reverend, I'm assuming, of the Mormon have they established that there's more than one religion right now? Not sure. So that's happening too. And we also immediately see that she's going to be a thorn in Earnwright's side. So Earnwright so far has had the Secretary General to himself. The Secretary General has just kind of been, I mean, he puts up little baby fights like, oh, no, I don't think that we should. But ultimately, he's doing whatever Earnwright wants him to do. And now he's got Reverend Anna, 
who's questioning things and is like, as much as he's going after her, she's going right back. Like to her credit, she's holding her own. There's a lot of moments in there that are super condescending and misogynist towards her. Like you got Earn Wright with his his smug look, and even the other people that are around the Secretary General that just like testing her and trying her like every point, and she holds her own every single time. So I'm very interested to see what exactly, what exact role she's gonna be playing in regards to all of this. And she's trying to, is she gonna inevitably help to try and stop the war happening? Or is she a catalyst for something else that's about to go down? That, I don't know, so we'll find out. But it's it's been interesting at the very least. So I'm excited to see where that goes. And I'll be jumping into My Hero Academia right after this. All right, so to round out Kirby Geeky Fangirl recaps, I'm going to talk about My Hero Academia. So this is the anime that I have been following uh, quite closely as of lately. It's my new favorite one. So I was checking out Black Clover. I might go back and do a recap for Black Clover. Black Clover is real silly. I, I love it. I love it for being silly. I like the animes that are that have that action trope to them. Like their whole thing is like, I'm somebody that no, that somebody said no one could do. Oh no, that sounds terrible. But like, <laughs> they're like the little person who has these huge dreams and everybody's telling them it can't happen or they're telling them that they don't have what it takes to get it done. And then they do it. And that that's a lot of animes, but it's like this particular, and I wanna say shonen-esque type where it's like, it's very action focused and just like for the good of the world. So. I like those type of action animes where, you know, they've got a centered goal and they're working their best to get towards it and finish it. I like other ones too. I watch Attack on Attack on Titan. I have to like mentally prepare for, but <laughs> same thing with Tokyo Ghoul. Like Tokyo Ghoul's season is about to come out. I heard on like Hulu, their new season. Those are shows that I enjoy, but Whew, they put you through the ringer feels wise. Like you're, uh, you'll need a moment, but they're good. So I watched those two. I watched those. Uh, I also like horror, horror animes. There's a lot of animes. Um, I forgot what it's called. There's one where like, they're in like an old amusement park and it's a bunch of prisoners. And I don't know if they've been tested on or what, but they all have this type of like blood power where like they, they use their blood to manifest these abilities. And it's like, it's crazy. And then there's this one girl who comes off as like the sweet innocence, but she's like a crazy monster. So I, I forget what that's called, but it was on Netflix for a while there. So I watched that one. I kind of like those horror animes too. But My Hero Academia is definitely a show that you can put on. It's just a feel good show. It's a feel good show. It's real quick watch. It's not heavily layered real simple it definitely puts you in the mind of like a, a one piece type of show i love one piece as well which is massive it's huge but i love i love this like ragtag team of kids and they figure things out and they save the world i love this so that's basically my hero academia you get uh these kids and they're going to ua i want to say that stands for university academia i don't know so with all of that New episode came out, third episode of the season so far. First episode was filler. Second episode kind of kicked things off. We find out that they're going to be training. They make it to the camp. They have to face off in this forest. 
And then the real training is about to begin. So this new episode is about how that training starts. And they are training crazy hard. They're putting themselves through extremes to build up their tolerance and build up their endurance and even like really focus on precision when it comes to their abilities. Some people have it way worse than others, but they all are training to like the max degree that they can right now. And then we even have these the poor kids who didn't pass the last testing where they had to they face off against the pros and they have like double duty. So not only are they just training themselves to like a ridiculous ability right now, they're also taking remedial classes so they can catch up to the rest of their classmates. Ooh, it's a it's a deal. It's a deal. And you see like how it's affecting these kids. Like they're exhausted and they're weak and some of them are bleeding. And it's just, you see how hard and how seriously they're taking it. So we see that. And meanwhile, we still have Deku trying to reach out to um, this little kid who hates everything, basically. I want to say his name is Kato. I don't know. Where'd it go? Yep. No, I'm sorry. Not even Kato. It's Coda. There we go. That's his name, Coda. So we get a little bit more story. In the previous episodes, we found out Coda's parents were pros. They were pro superheroes, water-based superheroes. Hoop died. And so that's kind of colored his perspective on, on people with quirks in general. Like he just thinks all of it's dumb. Like why, why are people trying to do any of this? He sees it as showing off. Like why are you trying to show off when it's just going to result in people trying to kill each other? So we get a little more story with Koda. Not only that, we got a nice little little moment there with Todoroki. So a lot of people are just oohing and on over the little soft moment we get to- with Todoroki. There's a whole part where the kids have to cook their own dinner and they're having trouble starting the fires to do so. And as everybody knows, Todoroki can manipulate fire. So a lot of people are asking him to like help light the fires on their stoves. And of course, you know, we get some people who are like, you shouldn't do that. You don't need to rely on him. But there's a whole moment with Achako where, where she asks him to help and he does. And some of the articles I've read, like in recapping it, are like, this is a moment where he sees his fireside is not necessarily terrible and only brings destruction, but is also helpful. And maybe that's part of it. But th- what I took away from it was him... I don't almost like a sense of, of unity there. Like this, like I kind of belong here. People are looking out for each other and they're looking out for me. I, that's how I took that scene. So we got a cute moment like that with Todoroki. We also got another moment with Todoroki where he's talking to Deku about Koda. And Deku's basically talking to him like, he's like, I don't know how to reach this kid. Like he, he just really hates any supers. Like he hates the professionals, anybody with quirks. I don't know how to, you know, to get to this kid. And Todoroki basically telling him, don't, like don't. (laughs) There's a reason he's got the perspective he has and you trying to help him the way you are is basically dismissing his feelings about everything that went down. Like he, we also need to understand his perspective. Like it's not, it's not a throwaway thing. And that could just be like, oh yeah. So that was, I like that. I like it when we get Todoroki also giving really valuable advice because it's usually the other way around because Deku's so in titch with all this stuff. So I like that. I like that we got him talking. We got a funny moment with Bakugo. I want him to be a favorite, but man, he is. He, sometimes it's really hard to like him, but where he was supposed to be lighting his fire, but he blew up his entire little stove. So there was that. But yeah, it's basically the UA kids training, getting ready to set off. 
and then surprise surprise villains come so we see class 1a and 1b they get they get paired off again in the forest at night to kind of like uh challenge each other some kind of competition where they've got to scare each other off the path or of where Honestly, I wasn't paying that much attention. Even in even in the manga, I think they're supposed to make their way through the forest, but each class is supposed to, well, class 1B is supposed to stall them and class 1A is supposed to make their way through. So uh, class 1B is actually doing a pretty good job of creeping everybody out and stalling them and kind of forcing them to go a different way. But then we start seeing smoke kind of come through and people are noticing that like, it seems like there's burning fires happening in the forest and that's when we realize something's wrong so one of the 1b kids passes out from the smoke inhalation and we see class 1b kind of get into action uh, the girl with the big hand which is her quirk she can make her i don't know if she make both hands big she can make these her limbs big she make her hands super huge she manages to do that to kind of stave off her, her other fellow classmate from passing out as well and then we see the villains kind of come out of the woodwork. We knew they were coming from the other episodes. They were going to make their way down at some point to make their, you know, make their announcements known, get back at these kids, maybe take these kids out so they can do their villain thing. That's been the plan. And they've made their way to the camp. And so, and then it happens really, really fast. So the smoke comes out, kids start to drop. People notice the smoke is happening. Some, the, some of the pro heroes get taken out. So one of the one of the kitties gets taken out immediately by one of the bad guys. And now these kids are back on their own, trying to figure out how to survive what's about to go down. It's moving, it's moving fast. I like it, it's moving fast. We're getting into the arc already. Uh, I love that Deku is his immediate reaction to everything going down is, oh my gosh, I gotta look for Koda because Koda's disappeared. He might be back in his top secret hiding spot. And we see Koda looking in from his spot, looking out at the forest as everything's going down. And we see a very ominous shadow kind of come out from behind the rocks. And yeah, if you read the manga, then you know what's going, what's about to go down. The manga is not too far ahead from the season right now. So there's that. It gets good. I read it. So it gets good. I'm, I like that there's a subtle difference between the manga and the anime. The story is pretty much the same, but they really make use of, of well, color. Hey, there's that. But also of like showing rather than telling you when it comes to the anime series, like that whole fight scene between them training. I knew that like when you're reading the manga, you know the kids are training, but I loved how we got further explanations of like, he's doing this with the tape so that he can, you know, increases endurance and strength with that. And that um, uh, the kid with the tail and the kid who can harden himself, they're working together so they can strengthen each other. Like, so one knows how to maintain his form while he's being hit and the other is to strengthen his form so he can hit harder. So that was cool. I like that we got to see all of that. And they kind of left it open for the next episode next week. I'm hoping we get another action filled one. Like we pick up with what's happening in this forest right now and what the kids are going to do to face off against the villains. I hope we don't get another filler. I hope we don't get like a, so this is what happened to Coda's parents episode. <laughs> like, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. 
but yeah, but that's pretty much it. So that was it from My Hero Academia. A pretty, pretty slow week. I didn't get to a lot of my Asian dramas like I normally would. I was trying to prepare for Universal Fan Con so I could do something huge for that. And as we all know, that's no longer happening. Oh my gosh. But definitely for next week, I'm going to be talking about Avengers Infinity War. So I'm going to, I've got my tickets to see it uh, without having to go up to Baltimore. So I'm going to check that out and give my thoughts on that. I'm going to try and catch up on some more shows just to check out some more things. And I came across another kind of nerdy-esque show on Amazon Prime. It's based out of Africa and it looks like it's like about a superhero. So I'm going to check that out. And then if it's really good, I'll, I'll do a recap about it on here too. So, so that, so that's it. So that's it to look forward for if you're checking out. Uh, like I said, I am Joe, AKA the curvy geeky fangirl. And as always, you can find me on all my stuffs, curvygeekfangirl.com. I still do my articles over at fanbros.com. If you're interested in fandom fashions using everyday clothes, I just did one for Hogwarts, like the Hogwarts houses. So if, you know, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, Slytherin, whatever your house is, I was thinking up ways so that you can rep your house, but with everyday clothes. So check that out if you get the chance. I'm most active on my Twitter and Instagram. So those are both still under Curvy Geeky Fangirl. Instagram is the regular smelling. Twitter has character limits. So there's no A and no I in fangirl. Uh, but searches are going to my website. It'll come right up and then you can check it out. If you want to talk about any of the shows I discussed uh, on this podcast, hashtag it with CGF recaps and I will respond back to you. Uh, or you guys can leave me a message through the Anchor app. If you download the Anchor app and so that you're following my podcast channel, I guess. Yeah, we're going to say that. You can leave a message and then I can put that message into the next episode. So that's also something to check out if you want. Um, and yeah, so that's what's that's what's going down right now. I also have an email in case you want to hit me up directly that way too. That's curvygeekyfangirl uh, at gmail.com. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's pretty much it for what's been going on this last week. I hope you guys have a great week going into the next one and hope you get to catch Avengers Infinity War. It's about to be huge, at least for that. And that's it. All right. Bye.